Let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 John, believe it or not, 2 John, 2 John. Can we get, there we go. Last time we talked about the power of hope, a little review because it's just such a, such a wonderful uh, thing that we have, this hope, this expectation of what God is going to do. And I was thinking today too, uh, uh, one of the things about this expectation is that God is going to work all things together for good and today is 828, Right? Isn't today 828? Yep. Okay, just see if you're listening here. And uh, so God is going to work things out. And to, to have hope kind of lift our hearts, lift our heads, and uh, what he wants to do, the fact that he is sovereign. We sang about that today. That's even a sovereign choice that Chris uh, came up with that song to kind of go with what we're going to talk about today. In Psalm 62, he says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope or my expectation comes from Him. That's where our hope is. It's, it's in Him. You know, His promises. He promises to provide, to, to be with us in the, in the trouble that we face in this life. It, it's, it's His promise. That's where our hope is. Our expectation is. Hope, a very powerful, powerful thing. He promises to save those who trust in him. And uh, scripture that I didn't really have up on the screen last week uh, for more than a second, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. When we turn to the word of God and we find out what God has said, what he has promised about who he is, what he, what he wants to do, who we are, how much we need him. That, you know, hope, that's where hope is ignited. So I, I want to I say to you, if you are, are feeling hopeless, you need to, to go and open your Bible and see what God would say to you. Go to the Psalms. Go to the Proverbs. Open, your, open your, the Word of God and let the Scriptures give you that hope. And, and uh, one other passage that we did look at last week, the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's also found in Romans chapter 15. So you and I, we have hope. It's not a hope in the things we see, but it's hope in our God. And our hope is higher, it's stronger, it's deeper, it's brighter than any kind of hope that this world has. So that was what we talked about last week. But two weeks ago, we finished 1 John. I'm just going to put this in passing here, this idea, you know, that, that we need to keep ourselves from idols, and the NLT says, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Anything that might take God's place. See, we, we all have idols. We all have something that is, you know, vying, that's wanting to take that place in our hearts that belongs to God only, only God. We all have them. So, but we need to make a, a, a conscious uh, effort and the choices that we make, that God would be number one, always. But we have to do that. Now today, we're going to look at uh, 2 John. We're going to start it. And 2 John, we, we've been, we've been uh, you know, reading things that John wrote, John the Apostle wrote for a long time now, you know, the Gospel of John and the Epistle of 1 John, now the Epistle of 2 John. And, but they, they believe that he probably wrote this near the end of his life. He, he, he could have been like 90 years old. That's sort of how I feel. Uh, and, and uh, you know, John, John the Apostle, he was the only one who died a natural death of all the apostles. When you talk about the cost of following Jesus, you and I, we complain if somebody looks at us funny. But these these are apostles and the disciples that followed after Jesus, you know, they, you know, they gave their lives for their faith. 
But John was the only one. It's a very short letter, only 13 verses. And uh, in fact, 2nd and 3rd John are like the shortest books in the whole of the Bible. But it's a very personal letter, as we'll see even from the very opening here. And, uh, but let me ask you, one of, the, one of the key points, really the two key points in this letter are, are truth and love. But I want to ask the question, have any of you ever been sworn in as a witness in a courtroom? Anybody here? A couple of you? Why were you there again? No. You know, I've never had to go up on a witness stand, but they put you on the witness stand, right? What do they say to you? They say, you know, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So help you God. And they would put your, you know, hand, your other hand on a Bible, right? That's what they used to do. That's what they used to do. It's, you know... So help you, God is a part of it, and your left hand is on the Bible, and, and you know, the, the word of the truth of the word of God. But, but it's not quite like that anymore, is it? Things have changed, and I don't think they've changed for the good. In a, in a, system, in a court system where things are supposed to be based upon truth, right? We're going to get to the truth of this case. And yet, you know... They take God out of it. You don't have to say that. You don't have to put your hand on a Bible. I'm in, in some places, they still do that, but, but for more or less, you know, they have kind of gotten rid of those things. So if you take God out and you get rid of the Bible, what do you have for truth? You could put your hand on whatever. It's, I was thinking about this. You, you, you're going to put your hand on a mirror, because it's just going to look at, back at yourself. Well, that's what your truth's based on, whatever you think. Or whatever, you know, uh, somebody else thinks. You put your hand on your cell phone, because that's where all the truth is, right? It's in that little computer that's in your pocket. That's, that's where we find the truth. I mean, you can trust Google, right? Wikipedia has all the answers. They know everything. John, one of the, one of the things that, that, that kind of kept this guy going was truth. It, like, it was like, truth is important. We see that just in the opening verses of this little short letter. And, and truth was absolutely important. So was love. He talked about love an awful lot in 1 John. We know that. And it still is important today. Truth and love are still important today. In fact, John used terms that related to truth like over 50 times. Over 50 times. You know, I've already said it, but in our world today, truth is, is kind of flexible. Isn't it? Truth is flexible. Whatever's current, whatever you think it is, we have fake news. We have real news. And who knows the difference? We have, you know, the suppression of truth. Whatever the, the, the heads of the media believe is true, that's what they're going to say is true and suppress everything else. This is real. I'm not, I'm not just giving you some kind of, you know, conspiracy theory here. This is what's happened. This is true, what's happening in our world, in our country today. So what do we do? Where do we go? Well, I want to say what I've been saying all along is we need to turn to Jesus who said he was the way and the truth and the life. And we need to turn to the word of God which gives us the truth. So that's why we study the Bible. That's why we're looking at these verses today. We, we, we look and see what it says. And, uh, you know, Tim and I have this little discussion. You know, why do you stop on just one word or one verse or whatever? Uh, you know, it, these letters, if somebody sends you a letter, you don't necessarily just stop on the first word and go like, I'm going to meditate on that for a while. You read the whole letter, right? Well, we need to do that, but we also... As we're studying the word, we also want to expand on like what, what it is that they're talking about here. 
What were they thinking when they wrote those words? What did it mean? And then, how does it apply to me? That's the, that's the, the, the final question in that, that process. Well, how does it apply to me? What is it, how does it affect my life? How does it affect our church? How does it affect what's going on in our world today? So let's read, we're, we're just going to read the first three verses, we're going to look at the first two verses, but let's read the first three verses in 2 John. John says, the elder, it's like writing a letter, you know, and you start with who, who it is, that's the way they would do it, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And I, not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. You see that emphasis even just there, what what keeps coming out again and again, this idea of the truth. Now, Let's go back to the beginning here. He starts off and he says the elder. And, and uh, <clears throat> really this term elder is used in two different ways. And it, number one, somebody who's older. I'm an elder because I'm old now. I'm not 90. Some of you think, oh, yeah, he looks 90. No, I'm not 90 yet. The second way it's used uh, in, the, in the New Testament really, and and, and somewhat in the Old Testament as well, uh, is, some, is, is a rank or office, a place, a position, especially those who watched over a church. Now, it's true, isn't it, that both of these were true of John. He was older, but he also was an elder in the church in Ephesus. He was a pastor. He was an overseer. We, we, we see these terms in the New Testament. They're kind of interchangeable. Elder, overseer, and the function of a pastor is, is also uh, interchangeable. Someone who's older, you know, physically, they, they do have wisdom and they do have, have experience that comes with age. And John had, obviously, he had seen and heard an awful lot. You know, being, being the last one of the apostles to, to be alive, it's like, that, you know, that's like, there's something that this guy knows. And, and we've talked about this before, how his, his whole message was based on love. Love one another, he would say. But he was also this pastor at, at the church in Ephesus. And, and when you think about an elder, and, and I want to just talk about this for a few minutes because I think it's important. I think we want to see what the Bible says about this. We don't hear, uh, and and every church is different, we don't necessarily uh, make a huge deal out of labels and titles. Though they're not wrong, but we don't, you know, pass out little name badges and, and, you know, have the, you know, what you are there and and everything. And, 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 you know, some people are, are... comfortable with that other people they want to know like what exactly I, I want to know when I walk in the door you know what's what but just so you know you know here in this church we we have elders we have official elders and I think we also have unofficial elders that function and, and may, you may say well you know it's not like listed in the bulletin it's not listed on the website or whatever but but just for your own um that you would be comforted maybe by the fact that we have leaders who, who are functioning in this church. Maybe, maybe a good exercise, instead of me just telling you who both of those groups would be, maybe the, a good exercise would be for you to see who is functioning. I think, I think truthfully, I think you could, you could probably pick them out. Hopefully, you could pick them out. That's not a test or anything. But let's, let's look here. Uh, the, the, the elders, the overseers, they had qualifications and they had duties. Let's turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to read some of these uh, passages. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul kind of gives a whole list here 
about elders or overseers and applied to pastors as well. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. It's a good thing. If God's put it on your heart to, to, to fulfill that role, it's a good thing. It's a noble task. But now he says, now the overseer must be above reproach. So there are qualifications, and they're, and they're quite extensive, and, they're, and they, you know, they're, they, they're a lot. He says, the husband of but one wife. You can't have two wives. Sorry. Not sure you'd want to. I was reading in Genesis, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jacob ends up with two wives. He didn't really want it that way. And it created a lot of, a lot of trouble. Anyways, that's another subject. <laughs> it says the, the overseer, the elder, must be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot to say there. And, and, and is anybody going to be perfect in, in every aspect of this at every time? Obviously not. We're, we're human beings. But, but the... The qualifications, you know, are, are important to know. This is, what, this is what God has called those that would oversee the church. Notice he mentions the devil here like two times in the, in the last of those uh, two verses. There's a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. It's not an easy role, but it is a good role. He desires a good thing, it says there in the beginning. He desires a noble task. God wants to raise up leaders, and he does. It's not that you go to school and you, uh, you, know, you take this course and that course, and then you, you're made a, a, an elder, or an overseer, or a pastor, or a leader. It's, it's something that God is doing in people's lives, and I think God is raising up people uh, all the time, and God is using uh, people all the time in leadership roles. Another passage I want to look at is, excuse me, First uh, Peter chapter five. Peter had some things to say about it too. First Peter, so that's closer to where we are in Second John. First Peter chapter five. Starting in verse one and one and two, it says, "To the elders among you." I appeal as a fellow elder. So, so Peter looked at himself in that role as well. He says, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And now he kind of gives some of the duties, but also how to fulfill the role. He says, be shepherd. That's the word for pastor. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care serving as overseers. So we see in those first two verses the, the, the three terms, elder, shepherd, and overseer. And they're, they're kind of all working together in the, interchangeably. But notice he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. You have a heart for it. As God wants you to be. Not greedy for money. He talked about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well. You know, are you in this for the money? Is that what you're all about? And, and believe me, there are churches and there are leaders who that's really what they're all about. And, and that's a very sad situation. He says, not greedy for money, but eager 
to serve. It's a servant role. It's not that you are high up above everybody else. You've got this role. You're a pastor. You're an elder. You're an overseer. And now, you know, we're all going to just, you know, look up to you all the time. No. Uh, A leader in this role is called to be a servant. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Examples, being an example to the flock. One more passage about this in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20. So now you kind of know, Titus talks a little bit about it as well, but now you kind of know where the main passages are here. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, and Acts chapter 20 kind of give uh, you know, the scriptural, some of the scriptural guidelines. There's more, obviously. But Acts chapter 20, Paul is, uh, stops in a, in a place and speaks to the elders of the church of Ephesus, where John would eventually be the pastor and elder there. So he's speaking to them, and, and he says, we'll, look, we'll pick it up in uh, verse 28. But it, there's a whole section here you can read about that. But in verse 28, he says, uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds. Of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's a pretty heavy, heavy verse right there, isn't it? For the, the responsibility of an elder, overseer, shepherd. And again, the terms are used interchangeably in this passage here as well. He, he, he speaks to them. He says, you know what? First of all, you got to make sure you, you watch over yourself, too. Keep an eye on your own self. What, what, what is your life like? Because as we read in 1 Peter, we're, we're called to be an example to others. So we need to keep an eye on ourselves. And then he says, all the flock of, uh, over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. This is a, this is a calling of the Holy Spirit. It's a calling of God. It's not something that, again, we just take a course and that makes us that. But the heaviest part is found at the end of that verse. He says, the church of God which he purchased, which he bought with his own blood. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? It's a serious responsibility. This is a church that Jesus gave his blood for. And you and, you know, and we need to understand that and care for people like that. A few more verses here. He says in verse 29, he says, I know that after I leave savage wolves... Savage wolves will will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He says, be on your guard. People are going to rise up. and, And why? Because they want followers for themselves not you know the the job of a pastor and an overseer and elder is to point people to Jesus to follow Jesus not to follow after them if that starts to happen you better go somewhere else this is where you know that again it, it becomes more about position and power and money and and all these other things and and that as he says here, is a distortion of the truth. They distort the truth so that, so that they can make this happen. John, again, John was uh, you know, writing to these people uh, in uh, 2 John, and, and the truth was so important. The false teachers, the context of the, of the letter of John is, is like that. There were, there were false teachers then, there are false teachers now. 
So he was saying, you know, truth is important and you need to know the truth and you need to have a, a grasp of the truth. Warren Wearsby said this, John was not one, John the Apostle, was not one to say that, that all religious teachings are true in one way or another and that we should not be critical just as long as people are sincere. To John, there was a great difference. In fact, a deadly difference between truth and error. And he would not tolerate error. John was, you know, he was like, no, we, we, we need to hold on to the truth. So where do we find the truth? We said it already. We find it in our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the, in the, in the Scripture, the Word of God. This is where we find our truth. So let's turn back to 2 John. He says, the elder, and he's writing to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. We're going to talk a little bit more about truth, but but he appears to be writing to an individual lady and and her children. And some some say that they, they think he's writing to a specific church. Sort of like, you know, the, the, the bride of Christ. The church is also called the bride of Christ. But I think, he's, I think he's writing to an individual that he knew, that he was aware of. And he calls her the chosen lady. That's an interesting title, isn't it? Interesting name. It doesn't tell us what her name is. Although some have, have seen, uh, you know, in, in the, the Greek words there, uh, uh, a word that could be her name. But, but it's this individual, and he calls her the chosen lady. In, in uh, the, the New King James Version, says the elect lady. The elect lady. So right from the start, he's, 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 he's going deep here. He's talking about someone who is elect, someone who is chosen. And, and it's not something that, you know, we talk about all the times, but... But this idea of being chosen by God, it, it is one of the truths of Scripture, is it not? Mm-hmm. You know, you go to, uh, you know, I'm going to talk for a few minutes about this, about this, this kind of, uh, uh, it's not really a battle, but it's discussion that's ongoing. You go to any Bible school, Bible college, and one of the things that they're talking about is the sovereignty of God and the will of man. And it's just this, this kind of this, these two things. The truth of both. John jumps in right here and he talks about being chosen, that this lady was chosen. And I want to I ask you, how did they know that? How did John know that she was chosen by God? But Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. God has chosen you. I'm just throwing some, uh, some of these scriptures out because it's a, it's a big subject and it, it, it's not just in one place. Ephesians chapter 1, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. There's something about grace in this passage, but this idea that he's chose us before the creation of the world. He chose you, if you're one of his children, he chose you before the world was ever even created. Now, can you get your mind around that? Can you understand that? Well, maybe you better come up and take over here because this idea of foreknowledge, in fact, in, in Peter, he says it, that he talks about God's elect in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. This idea of foreknowledge, I mean, do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Can we really get, uh, do we really understand or comprehend what foreknowledge is? That God knows what's going to happen. God knew before the world was ever created who would live on the earth. He, He knew every person. 
chosen before the creation, the foundation of the world. This is the truth, one of the truths of what God's word talks about over and over again. But I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a minute because I want you to see something about this. And I know some of you are going to come and talk to me about this afterwards. That's okay. I'll be tired by then and I won't have anything to say. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. I don't know if you see that both, both things are there. The sovereign hand of God, the sovereignty of God, and the free will of man, they're both in the scripture. In fact, in this verse, we see them both there. That God was working through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, but also through belief in the truth. I, you know, I've had a lot of discussions through the years with different people about you know, both these subjects. And, and you know what? For us to try to, uh, to understand it all and completely, how do these two things work together? I've never, I've never talked to anybody that had it all figured out. I talked to people who thought they did and, and acted like they did. And it acted, in the end, it was almost like a pride. But the truth is, God knows what he's doing. He's sovereign, and he always will be sovereign. And he knows what he's doing, and, and, and he's going to do it right no matter what because God is good and right. But on, on the other side of this coin, if you will, is that God calls us to tell people about Jesus Christ. And God, you know, his word has it over and over as well that we're called to believe and trust in him. We're, we're invited. There's an invitation Call upon me. Call, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Not only certain ones. It says whoever. And, and, and the gospel was given out to anybody and everybody. Sometimes I think, you know, we, we try to worry so much about God's part that we don't ever do our part. Our part is just let people know. Let God worry about who is and who isn't. Who did he choose? Who did he not choose? You know, it, it's kind of weird, really, because, you know, we, we, we think, you know, that, that we come to this place where we say, but I thought I chose him. And, and then you read the verses like this and you say, but he chose me. And Jesus said it to his disciples. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, that you would go forth and bear much fruit. Now, did they choose him? Well, they did. They, they chose to follow him. They could have said no. And, and I saw in, in the book of Acts, uh, I think it was chapter 14, where he, he talks about those that, re, those that refused to believe. They had a choice. Say, well, no, they didn't have a choice. But yeah, they did have a choice. I like Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you know, that we are saved by what? By grace. Right. But then it says through faith, through belief, through believing in him. But then he says but that even that was a gift and not a works, so that so that we can't boast, not something we do. Say, well, what should I do? Well, I should just follow him and believe and trust in him and and and, and give up my heart and life to do whatever he asks me to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Worry about my part. We're good at worried about other people's parts, aren't we? Your wife, your husband, they're worried about what they should be doing, and then we don't worry about what I'm supposed to do. God is God. In the end, the, you know, in the end, all the glory goes to him. 
in the end, it, it, all the glory goes to him. And you can't say, well, you know, but I did this and I did that. He's going to say, <laughs> okay, if you want to think like that, go ahead. In the end, all the glory is going to go to him because he's did a marvelous work. We're not going to sit in heaven and go on, you know, oh, but I went and I walked in, uh, you know, I walked down that aisle and you're going to go, wow, thank you, God, that I'm here. Thank you, God, that you saved me, that you rescued me, that you did an incredible work. But don't, don't let it stop us from telling other people about Jesus or say, well, you know, the hyper-Calvinist, you know, over here saying, you know, I don't even need to tell anybody about Jesus because he, because, you know, God knows those who are his and, and I don't need to have any. No, God says, go out and tell people. Preach the gospel to every creature, he says. Go and make disciples. Go and let people know. That's what he tells us to do. I don't know if any of this makes sense <laughs> to you. It's, it's deep stuff, but, but this is the truth of what God's word says. And, and again, I ask the question, how did John know that she was chosen by God? How do you know? You see it in their lives. They're dedicated to Jesus Christ. They follow after him. It makes a difference how they live. That's how you know someone is, a, is, is one of God's own children. You can see it. But Pastor Chuck used to say this, and Chuck talked about these subjects a lot. Uh, I can't remember who, who said it once uh, you know, you, you, you see the, you know, the pearly gates and, and, and it says on the, on, the, on the gate there, you know, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and so you call on the name of the Lord and you believe and trust in him and you go through and then you look back and up on the gate it says, you know, saved from the foundation, chosen, called, elect from the foundations of the earth. So, so but, but Chuck used to say, do you want to know if you're chosen? Do you want to know if you're one of God's elect? Trust in Jesus Christ. Give him your whole life and then you'll know. That's what he said. He, he simplified it. And Chuck was a brilliant, brilliant teacher. Anyways, let's move on. Let's get to the love and truth part. <clears throat> Back in 2 John, he says, <clears throat> he said to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth... And, and again, this idea of truth. Notice he says, I love in the truth, not in truth. In truth would mean I truly love her. But he says, I love her and her children in the truth. What is truly true and the truth in, in this word truth means in reality, in fact, in certainty. This is something that's true. And I think... When it, when it all boils down to truth, the truth we need to know most of all is the truth about God, who he is, and the truth about ourselves, truth about humankind, who we are and what we need, and that, and that we need Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. But he says that, he says that there are that I love, I love them. I love them in the truth. There's something that goes on in this idea of truth there's something that, that, that takes place, this truth and this love connected in John's mind. He says, I love her and her children in the truth. All who knew the truth loved her. He knew the truth. He loved her. There's something about truth and this truth that is among believers, among followers of, of Jesus Christ, who, what, 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 which binds us together, this common bond, this truth. Look at, look at the second verse. He says it there. He says, I, also all who know the truth, I love her. And also all who know the truth love her because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. There's this common bond of truth. Uh, David Guzik said this, what binds Christians together is not social compatibility or political compatibility, but common truth. That's what binds us together. Even in this room, you know, uh, there are people that have different social kinds of ideas. 
We don't all think alike. We don't all act alike. There are different political views in here, I, I venture to say it. We don't, we don't, you know, focus on that here. Why? Because we have something that's higher than that. We focus on the truth of what God has said and what his word says. And that's what binds us together. When we start to focus on those other, other things, that's when we start to have battles. That's when we start to get at, you know, on one another's nerves. <coughs> Let me tell you what I believe. No. <laughs> I can do that, you know. They call it a bully pulpit, and that's just what it is, a bully. I'm going to sit here and tell you what you should believe. No, I'm going to point you to the Word of God, and that is what we should believe, not what I think, not what some politician thinks, not what, what some social uh, psychologist thinks. It's what God says. That's what we need to gather around. It's like we gather around the table, and, and we, break o- we break open the, the bread of the Word of God, Thy Word, and we sang it today. I love that. Good choice. Uh, Chris, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And he is sovereign over all. It's God's truth that binds hearts together, as someone said. Notice he says here that this truth, this truth, it lives in us. It actually lives in us, the truth. Now, how does that happen? By the Holy Spirit, John 14, Jesus said it, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, He would live within you. But also this idea that the, that the Word of God, you know, we hide the Word of God in our hearts and the truth lives within us in that way as well. John talked about it in 1 John. He said there, there were those who were claiming to be without sin. There were those who were claiming to know God but not obeying him. He says the truth is not in them. They didn't have the truth in them. Just because you say you have the truth, just because you say you are a believer, but you're not really holding to what the truth is, you're not obeying the truth, truth isn't in us. But to have the truth actually living inside of us, that's what he says here. This is part of what we're talking about here. And the last thing he says about it there is that the truth is going to be with us forever. The truth will be with us forever. That's a powerful statement when you think about what we've been talking about, the truth of of the world around us. Man, truth, you know, give it five minutes, the truth's going to change. But the truth that God gives to us will be with us forever and ever. Forever and ever. Guzik also said this, the truth doesn't change. The truth will be true forever and we will have the truth forever in eternity. Forever and ever. We're going to have the truth. The truth will be there. It's going to be with us forever. What you read on the internet today is not going to be with us forever. You know, I was, I was looking at, you know, Google News, and I would look at that and see what's, you know, see what's going on in the world. But they kept throwing in all this other garbage and stuff, you know, and I said, you know what? I don't need that. So I had to say, no, I don't, I don't need to read what Google News has to say every day. I need to read this, and I was reading this first every day. I want to know what the truth is. I want the truth in me and, because that truth is going to be on and on for eternity. Warren Wiersbe said, we shall spend eternity surrounded by truth, growing in our knowledge of truth and serving the God of truth. This is truth. Psalm 51, uh, King David, I haven't been following these uh, Slides very well, have I? <laughs> Psalm 51, he says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom 
in the inmost place. God desires that truth within each one of us, and he'll give it to us by his Holy Spirit, by the word of God, by what he has spoken. Three thoughts I want to leave you with. Number one, where is it? Number one, know the truth. Number two, believe the truth. And number three, obey the truth. Know the truth, believe the truth, and obey the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, If you abide in my word, you are really my disciples. And then what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Live in the word. Look what Jesus said. What God has said. Paul said in 1 Timothy, this is good. He's speaking about prayer in chapter 2. And he says, it pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is this is the truth. But he says, he says he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, but not all will be saved. But the gospel found right there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and it's the man Christ Jesus. The separation between God and men is huge, but Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap, and that, that is what brings us together. That's what reconciles us to God. Know, know what the truth is. Get into the word of God. Let God speak to you. Let God show you what the truth is. Secondly, believe the truth. We've already talked about that through belief in the truth. And thirdly, obey it. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, he said, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love from, for your brother's love, one another deeply from the heart. Obeying the truth, and John talked about it so many, many times, obeying the truth means to love one another. Love one another. Truth and love, they're kind of inseparable. They're connected. He says you purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Know the truth, believe the truth, and obey the truth. One last passage I'll quote from Galatians chapter 5. He, he connects them as well, he says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Only matters is, is God's love coming through your life? What stopped you? What broke in on your life? What idol, if I can add that, what idol came into your life and took took God's place and, and took you away from obeying what God has called you and I to do. And like I said, we all have them. Know the truth. Believe the truth and obey the truth. There's a lot in those couple of verses, huh? There's more, but I had to kind of cut it back. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you've given to us. Some of it is, is so deep that we, we, we have trouble comprehending. We don't know how it all fits together. But one day, as Wearsby said, we'll, we'll, we'll be there and we'll be learning and growing in our knowledge of the truth. And, in, and when we stand before you and, and we see you face to face, it'll all make sense. All the pieces will fit together. But Lord, I pray for us now that in these days that we have in this life, that we would, that, that we would seek to know the truth, that we would believe it, hold on to it, trust and that we would also obey the truth. 
starting with loving one another, even here in this room, loving one another, caring for one another, praying for one another. What, what are the needs of those people around us? Help us, Lord. We can't do it on our own. And, and in the end, all the glory will go to you no matter what. No matter what happens, all the glory will go to you. Have thine own way, Lord, in us. Father, I pray too for this this morning for anyone maybe who has never surrendered, never given their hearts and lives to Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, am I, am I one of his or not? I want to be and you can open your heart right now and ask him in and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you were buried and rose from the dead. And I receive you. Well, the truth of God's word says to all who received and believed, he gave the right to become children of God, the power to become children of God. And that's for you. Thank you, Lord, for this church. I, I just want to pray that you would have your hand upon this church, the, the day-to-day workings, but mostly the, the, the people. It's, it's these beautiful, beautiful people, these priceless treasures that you brought together in this body we call Calvary Green Meadow. Work here, Lord. Have your way, your sovereign hand upon us. Show us what we're called to do and, and lead us, Lord. Thank you. Uh, we, we had a beautiful festival, but we need to go on and, and do everything that you've called us to do today, tomorrow. Give us boldness as we talk to our neighbors, our families, our friends, our co-workers that there's a Savior and His name is Jesus. And it's as simple, it's as simple as that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?